Hey, Michael Block here, and you're listening to another episode of Block Talk, presented by Theater in the Now. Just a reminder, head over to patreon.com slash theater in the now to learn how to become a patron today. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at theater in the now. And as always, visit us at theaterinthenow.com for the latest news, reviews, and interviews. We are here with multi-hyphen artist extraordinaire, Ryan McCurdy. That's Hi, a, Ryan. Hi, Michael. That's a great opening. I think it's true, though. I, I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. How are you doing today? I'm good, man. I got coffee. I'm nursing it. Um, trying to hold on to my voice in the winter season, which is always fun. How about you? How are you? I'm good. Got things going on, and I'm just so excited to be here with you. I know. I've been. This has been something I've been wanting. I've been wanting to record an episode of this for a while, so I could send it to people and be like, "Look, I was on, I was on Block Talk," and then I think I texted you this yesterday. I I literally had not realized the pun until until yesterday. Yeah. And I I had thought this whole time like, oh, he's making like a. It's like Broadway is a block or like it's uh-huh. a Schubert Alley joke. I was like, oh, that's good. Yeah. I, I mean, like it, yeah. it's like I'm a writer or something. Yeah. Yeah, keep doing that. I'm, I'm pretty good at this. Keep doing what you're doing, what you're good at, Butch. So, thanks for joining us on Block Talk. Thank you, sir. And Honored we're, to be here. we're going to talk about life and theater and music and anything you want, really. Great. Okay. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah. So let's let, let's dive into it and okay. let's let's learn about the Ryan McCurdy. <laughs> so where are you from? I'm from uh, South USA. My father. Uh, who just recently retired, was in the real estate department of Norfolk Southern Railways and spent uh, his whole career and my family moving from regional office to regional office. So I I would say Charlotte, North Carolina is where I did most of my growing up because I was there from like 10 to 18. Okay. And then Savannah, Georgia is where I went for college and then stayed. Stayed stayed for a total of eight years. Partly because of the people, and partly because there is like there is an actual unearthly bond and draw that that city has. Sure. I don't, I, it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand unless you've been there, and then once you're there, you're like, "Yep, I feel it." So you have some southern roots. I do. My family, mm. my family's in the south. Yeah. And you keep them there. I do, so I can go down and visit them and water them whenever I want. That's awesome. Yeah, and you fun. visit there frequently. Yeah, I'm headed there on a early plane tomorrow. How exciting! Yeah. So where did you go to school and what did you study? Went to Savannah College of Art and Design and it was a huge, it was just this massive pivot for me because I was uh, gonna do computer sciences all through high school. It was like computers, computers, computers. Had planned on those applications and then one day pretty much did the thing where you say to your parents, I wanna be an artist and to both of their credits they both said full speed ahead. It's wonderful. Yeah, so I went for uh, performing arts and uh, got a film minor from SCAD. And then you made your amazing journey to New York. Yes. So I want to like talk about how small this industry is. Yeah, I want to do that too. And the six degrees of theater that had separated you and I. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us the story? So in Charlotte, where I did most of my growing up, part of that growing up, a lot of it was done uh, alongside... Danielle Pardue, who is a beautiful soul, and uh, had gone to uh, Boston for college, 
and ask. But not Boston College. No, she she gone to Boston University. Right, for college. Got to make sure we know the difference there. We got you got to stay on brand. Yes. Uh, So she went to Boston University for college, and uh, had asked me at one point to write a play, a short play for a festival that she was putting together of new plays, uh, or an evening of. uh, And to be honest, I still Danielle haven't seen the script. So I still don't know what exactly you were doing, but I was in a really snarky mood when she asked me to do this. So I wrote, and you've read it. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, what we're, that's what we're coming to. Um, I wrote a really dark law and order on amphetamines type play where a character, I think, I'm trying to remember, a character approaches a man at a bus stop. Correct. And basically says, we're both taking this bus to your house and I hear voices, and I've got your your address randomly, and I'm going to kill your wife, and you can't stop me. And it's this like ideological battle that the one man's like, of course I'll stop you. And he's like, no, you won't. And it's this back and forth. So, will you take the story from there, Michael? So, Ryan writes this piece. <laughs> this very mean-spirited piece. This is going into my senior year at Boston University. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a project for my second quarter assignment, so Danielle had asked me to work on her thesis as her stage manager. And I did, and it was a great experience. I had a lot of fun. Cut to about two years later. Yeah. I'm working as a production assistant at um, the Signature Theater on the revival of Angels in America. Great. And I meet this house manager, box office guy named Ryan McCurdy. And somehow we discover that I stage managed the play he I wrote. I love that. And I and I want to say, for the record, I think we did it honestly. Like, it was an actual, let's talk about people we yes. like and things we've done. It wasn't the Facebook surf that, that usually happens these days. The, the well, let's see who the mutual friends are. Oh, tell me that story. Right. I think we came by it honestly. We just we were talking, because yeah. let's be real, during that show, there was no time for any Facebook. Yeah, there was no time. Yeah, there was no time for phones. No. Just emotion. So we just talked about Danielle, and we made this connection that that was part of this thesis that I worked on. And it was crazy crazy how small this industry really is. It also felt really good because Danielle is one of, uh, you, have, you, know, you have people in your life, you have people in your life that you can't imagine, this is going to get real real for a second, people that you can't imagine not having the same connection to that you've always had. And Danielle's one of those people that, through through I think no fault of either of ours, we we've not maintained. It, it's it's not been maintained for as much of love as I as I still have for her. So it, when you told me that, it was this great, like the world's a little smaller, my heart's a little bigger, things aren't as bleak. Because that was my first. I had been in New York, like four months of that. Point. Right. I was a nervous wreck. I was signature was so thoughtful to bring me on because I had no plan. And no agenda, and Signature was the first place out of, like, I think the first 40 that I applied that said, we'll have you. That's amazing. So it changed everything. Yeah, that's great. So you leave Signature, and then you start pursuing the theatrical dream, and you do a lot of work in the indie theater scene. I do, which you have reviewed. I have. And which I have participated in with you. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I love it. And I, I love... I love saying other people's names when I'm doing podcasts or, or videos because like the there are so many amazing people we work with, and I feel like it's this spider web that once I start saying names, 
if you go listener to this podcast, if you go Google these people, it will just like keep opening doors. So what is it like to be a part of this indie theater scene? Well, it's great. It's, um, it's really wonderful. I think indie theater is a term that... Um, indie theater is a, is, a, is a very broad term that sometimes gets applied to everything from off-off to uh, some commercial off to shows that come in from out of town. And I think the indie, because you know, I call my band, our band is an indie rock sure. trio, that indie we kind of use to say, at the root of it, someone involved, some of the artists involved are also assisting with the production. It's not an entirely externally produced project. Sure. So it's great. It's a great being a part of it. And what's been really nice is being on the parallel journeys with a lot of these spectacular artists who all have their own agendas and all have their own goals. And sometimes you meet them right before they crack something yeah. and a show works. And sometimes you meet them when they need people's help the most. Absolutely. And it's great to, to come back to them um, and, uh, and be part of that, yeah. Why is the indie theater scene so important to the New York theater world? I think it's because storytelling is a very broad thing. Storytelling is why I exist to serve. You know, storytelling is my central nugget. And I think sometimes indie theater can both uh, predate and also contribute massively in the moment to changes in the way theater is presented. I think indie theater grabs hold of new trends faster. I think it has the ability to cast wider casting nets sure. earlier, and it then allows Off-Broadway as a commercial entity and Broadway as a commercial entity to see the value and the potential revenue from things that are otherwise uh, gambles for producers. So I think indie theater is a place where you start seeing plays about people we don't see on stage commercially. And then after they succeed in an indie environment, you start to sometimes see them commercially because it has validated, and if only in a financial sense, it's validated the desire that people have. I love indie theater. Do you feel like you're allowed to take more risks in this indie world than you can in a not-for-profit off-Broadway or commercial world? Well, it's interesting, too, because risk, I, I think you'll agree with me on this, that risk is a really subjective term. Absolutely. Because I've seen a lot of shows that call themselves risky, and it was nudity for nudity's sake for 35 minutes that at the end of the day somehow felt very non it felt very non titillating and very non sexualized and and there and sort and, and non dangerous and it, like it wasn't really risky at all and i've seen plays that have not called themselves risky but have had a person coming to an emotional truth on stage that just devastates the audience absolutely and i think those are the risks those are the kind of risks um, i think you can tell if a show has taken a risk or is indulging its um, appetite, right? Is it, if that makes sense. Sure, sure. So yeah, I think you could definitely take more risks. I um, I've definitely been part of shows that have, and I've definitely been part of shows that were flexing their appetites, and I, I like sticking with the ones that um, are taking the risks. 
So as a up-and-coming theater artist, did you find yourself saying yes to projects all the time? Uh, yes, I did. Why was that important for you to get to where you are now? To say yes all the time? Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to preface that I have recently, like in the last year, had the great luxury to start saying no, which was the first time it occurred to me I was doing that. And it was important to say yes because college teaches you that these people are your are your tribe and then throws you to the four winds. And SCAD's theater department does not have a lot of New York transplants. There's not a ton of us up here in the way that CMU um, or uh, Michigan has quantity of students. So I think um, saying yes to everything for my first four years here was basically my way of building my tribe, um, yourself included, uh, without 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 having to be without having to be lonely yeah um, so that's almost how you found a theatrical home I did and you know it's like if, if you're being if you're being observant and and realizing that for every 30 people you meet for saying yes to a project that maybe that maybe you're gonna pick up one person right or maybe you're gonna pick up zero and knowing that that's what it is going in I think something that a lot of young artists do and you know I'm 30 uh, 32 almost 33 now and I think a lot of students that co- or uh, recent college grads that come right here, one of the big things they make the mistake of doing is thinking everyone has to be their connection to the big ticket and they are chasing everyone and chasing parties and that scene and 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 uh, and being seen and I think ultimately it's the fig and knowing that the one person of 30 that lunch with that person or coffee with that person or going to an audition with that person is ultimately going to be your ticket. Right. Yeah. I want to talk about something something a little interesting. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about the importance and struggles of theater criticism in this indie theater world. It is hard because a lot of producing organizations, it's a a real catch-22 because they... I'll just be blunt, you know. I've I've no producers that are desperate for reviews, and they're desperate for any attention that their show can get. And then sometimes those are the same people that are deeply offended if the review isn't glowing. Right. Or so I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that I think there is great value in uh, good, honest critique of indie theater. Um, if it's well written, you know? And I think that's sort of what it is. If it's well written and it's obvious that the reviewer saw the show, was present at the show, and didn't like the show, I I understand how the indie theater producers, that that can tank their already struggling ticket sales sometimes. But I I don't think you can have it both ways. If you want the attention, I think you have to be willing to receive critics that are not um, uh, uh, what is what there was a term that we used in, in college what was it um, the, the ones that sort of uh, do a parenthetical of what the plot summary is sure yeah that type of critique you can't have it both ways you can't just ask those people to come and those don't I don't think those do us any favors 
I've been I had a terrible review a couple of years ago, and as as time has rolled over its head, I've been more and more grateful for it because it forced me to look at something I was doing. Whereas reading twenty five reviews of what my play was about and not anything about what I was doing in right. it don't serve me any purpose. So I, I think it's an incredibly vital thing. I wish people were more willing to accept what they asked for. These are the producers. I wish they were more willing to accept what they asked for, and I wish that um, it had more expectation in the indie theater scene. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that because you're staring at me. <laughs> I do genuinely believe that. So I want to take a little bit of a turn now, mm-hmm. and a lot of people know you for your work as a actor. I hope. But you also are a musician. Yes. So I think this is when we're going to play a song from your band. Oh, that's exciting. Yes. So what song should we listen to? Um, we're going to listen to a song called Lifelines, which is the uh, fourth track on my band Bonfire Falls's first EP called Lifetime. And it's a song that has uh, songwriting credits from all three members of the band and features all of us singing together, which is one of my favorite parts of singing with these guys or performing with these guys. Great, so we're going to take a listen and we'll be right back. Stay in the last one. 
So that was Bonfire Falls. Let's talk about the origin of Bonfire Falls. <laughs> it was what's great is that we didn't go anywhere. No, we, we didn't, we didn't listen to the song. <laughs> oh my god, you told everyone to take. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's so it's, it's so fine. meta. It's so meta. Uh, the origin of the band. Yeah, let's, let's hear about it. This it's 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 a really cool, quick little story. The uh, our our guitarist Stephen Lyons had asked. A violinist friend of his, Erica Walsh, had found this friend, Erica Walsh, in Philly a bunch of years ago on MySpace and asked uh, asked her to do some work on a solo album he was doing. And she, I think, simply at that point just didn't have time. It didn't work out for that session, so they sort of lost contact. He moves to New York and sees that Erica Walsh has transferred from Boston uh, to off-Broadway to Broadway with a show called Once. Uh, which at the time I was working on. Uh, and I went to an open mic, saw Stephen Lyons sing, lost my mind, went up to him, just had one of those, you know, you have those moments in your life where you're like, I, it's like the sliding, uh, with sliding doors, is that the yeah. film? I either go up to this person and make this introduction, or I regret it. There's a lot of choices in life, like, if I don't do this thing, I won't regret it. And this is when I'm like, I need to lock into him in case he never comes back to this open mic. And 20 seconds into talking, I was like, I'd love to start a band. I have an idea in mind. Uh, and the, the goal is a, a female vocalist at the center of it with a violin who plays the violin. And Stephen, before I can say a word, says, I know someone, Erica Walsh. You want to use her. And I said, the weird thing is, I've already asked her. And so that's how our band. That's how our band got together. Um, you and serendipity. It's it, it follows you everywhere. I do, and you know sometimes I'm like, hey, can you could you come a little closer because you're like 50 feet behind and I could use you like on my shoulder. But I try. Serendipity and I are friends. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's where the band came from. And the name is um, is a memory of mine from the from the south. Uh, the the bonfire fall is an expression that I had a neighbor that used to say. Uh, the first day that people would burn leaves in their yards, when it was cold enough to burn leaves, uh, he always called that the bonfire fall. That's awesome. And so that's why we're the bonfire falls. How has being a singer-songwriter translated into helping you as a theater artist? Well, specifically, almost every job I've had in the last five, maybe five years, yeah, almost every job I've had has had me playing some sort of instrument. So it has... It has obviously niched me into an environment where I am getting roles that are accessible to a smaller percentage of the acting population. In a, in a sort of an unexpected way, being learning how to craft a lyric, put it to a melody, and collaborate with other people in that has made me a better actor as far as listening, taking it in, and responding. That's great. Yeah. If you could play one venue anywhere on the planet, mm. what would it be? And is it with a is it for a particular project or is it as like a solo artist? What's no, that? with Bonfire Falls. Oh, with Bonfire. Um, we have. I think we've discussed this as a band. We've discussed uh, um, the uh, a Sydney Opera House. That'd be fun. Yeah, and uh, we've also discussed like fabulous things. Like I think. Um, we had talked about a floating platform in Venice at one point several years ago, and then Mozart and the Jungle did. Yeah, they did. Season, yeah. And I'm watching, I'm like, that does look like fun. Like, it, val <laughs> it validated my extremely bizarre desire right. that when it was done, it looked great. How about 
if you could open for any musical act, who would it be? You too. And you too. I mean, right. that that was easy, right? And it's, when that Steven just listens fell to this, right out. When Steven listens to this, I hope that he pumps his fists in the air and is like actually dancing because you two is his band forever. Well, you, you put it out and, there. All right, you maybe, too. Maybe maybe Bono is listening. He yeah, might be yeah. Maybe we'll see. Who are your biggest musical influences? I answered this on a TV show a couple of months ago, and it felt totally authentic then. So I. I think it's my new answer for this. I think it's Pete Townsend and Lindsey Buckingham. All right, that's a good duo. Yeah, both guitarists and musicians extraordinaire. Also both really interesting vocalists. Absolutely. And I've spent a lot of the last decade coming to terms with both my appearance, which is tall and, and uh, tall and slender, and not what a lot of theaters look at as a leading man. Sure. Unless you can show them why you would work. I've been spending time coming to terms with that. I've been coming to terms with the fact with my voice that my voice is unique more than it is clear. And I think um, both of them have extraordinary voices that have great character. You know, not clear as a bell. Right. But that's totally on purpose. It's it's unique. Yeah. It's special. I wanted you to go back into the Resume. Mm-hmm. If you could do one previous role over again, oh, what would it be? <sighs> For whatever reason. Something that I have already physically done? Sure. I'll tell you what, I know exactly what it is. I did, um, my baby face would contribute to this. I did Cripple of Inishman as my first paid acting gig when I was 18. And it was that was kind of the moment when I said, it's theater. It's going to be theater. And I, I look back at the video of that, and it's me... You know how actors use their toolboxes. Some do it more convinced. Some do it subtler than others. And watching that video, it's like me having opened my toolbox for the first time and just pulling tools out and throwing them at the audience and throwing them at my co-stars. I don't look much older than that if I shave now. Sure. I would love to take that role on again because he's he's supposed to be in his like upper teens, low in lower twenties anyway. This is a, that's a great segue to my next question. How do you stay theatrically active? How do what? How do you stay theatrically active? Oh, and I, I had a big thing about this on Facebook last year. About it, it, for me, it's proactive versus reactive. Theatrically active is a combination of pro and re. Reactive, the people that I work with, Diana O, Jody Christofferson, Ashley Griffin, the the people that are writing plays that I am developing, they take really good care of me. They call, they include me, they continue to use me. Um, and I can wait for those calls. I can choose to be fully reactive and be theatrically active. Pro-active is getting the new headshots, going to the actor's green room, getting my website up, because I think it still says under construction. <laughs> Do not tell anyone except every single person that just heard that. Uh that's all proactive, you know? Sure. And it's like this, being theatrically active for me, I see it as a perfect mixture of the two. And right for the last two, three years, it's been swinging all to reactive. And I'd like to find, for me, that's been very um, fulfilling, but I'd love to find a balance. Where okay. do you see yourself in five years? I truly believe I'm, I'm actively developing and workshopping a show called Beginnings with a uh, book by... Ellie Pyle, and a story by myself, Ellie, and uh, Erica Walsh, again. And it is, it is 
uses the catalog of the rock band Chicago, and it is a conversation that we've opened with them and with a lot of developers and producers. I, I think the show has, it is a show that can only go to Broadway because the band's catalog is so prolific. It's too big. It's too big to appear anywhere else. Sure. I don't know what that journey is going to be. I really do believe in five years that that show will be on Broadway and I will be in it. All right. <laughs> Throwing it out there. So you also teach music to kids. Yeah, I'm headed there after we shoot the after we shoot the podcast. Shoot it. Shoot it. What is the best advice you give to your students? That's such a great... That, Michael, that's a good question. Thanks. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay at this, right? Yeah, you're a good host. <laughs> Thank you. You're a great an interviewer. Because uh, a lot of people would ask that question as, what's the something-something about your experience of them? But that's a great question because it's like, what do I want to give them? The advice is... It's a question. What do you love about music? It's for every kid. It's different. If you ask them, it's just like on my interviews. It's why theater. And I've never five years plus now. The only similar answer is why not. Yeah, that's great. Every other answer, three thousand later. Are you gonna ask me that question? Well, we, we've done oh. that already. Oh, yeah, we, we did. We, the we've did our spotlight on. <laughs> you, you've been upgraded to the podcast. Yes, I love it. I was answering your question though. What, what do you love about music? And then when they tell me, the follow up is, what are we going to do to uh, evolve and grow that for you? I think if a child of any age has a rhythm, which you can teach them if you start early enough, sure. any kid can have rhythm. I truly believe it. They have rhythm and they have a genuine love for some element of music. They will become a musician. That's awesome. And I think that's a lot. I, you know, it's. I would also say, you know, like Circle of Fifths, or I would say, uh, you know, Middle C as the center of the musical universe. But I think at the end of the day, those things are meaningless if the kid's doing it by rote. That's great. Yeah. So I want to jump into like a less art area. Okay. Where do you go to de-stress in New York City? Mm. When I used to, when I was producing more than I do now, it was always like the Rubenstein Atrium was a beautiful place to like go mm. put my headphones on and be around people without being, without jostling people. Um, my my partner and I have enjoyed the High Line, and we also enjoy we 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 both relish going to see other people's work. And like going to the theater for some reason is never, never feels stressful to me. Um, going to the theater with you, yes, which we've done, has never felt it never feels stressful. It never feels like I'm on the clock, even if it's a show I'm eyeing for some reason. Um, and I would say definitely any of these museums for me, it's like American Museum of Natural History mm-hmm. is like sanctum sanctorum. Um, it's never as full as you think it's going to be because it's so big, right? And there's, if it is busy, there's a place that isn't. Absolutely. If everyone's in the dinosaurs, no one's by the asteroids. That's true. Yeah. I'm going to start a civil war right now. Great, do it. North or south? Wait, what do you mean? Like, in general? Yeah, or do you prefer... Living? Yeah. North. All right, you heard it, the south. Yeah, I prefer living in the north. Um, that is predominantly 
because of the concentration of opportunities. Absolutely. Well, let, let, you got a chance to redeem yourself with the South now. <laughs> sweet tea or iced tea? Well, sweet iced tea. Well, like, do you put the sugar in with it? Oh, oh this is a big... That's this is question. loaded. Uh, I probably peaked the mic on that. It, um, you, you, you brew the sugar into the tea, then, and you put the ice over the hot tea, and then you drink it all. Sweet tea it is. Sweet tea it is. I, I see what those two are now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very different. Do you, what do you, can I, can I ask you the same question? Unsweetened iced tea. I can't really? Do sugar. I you can't, can't do, do it. Do you, is it because, do you, does it? Because I'm a Yankee. No, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what that song was. Uh... Do you dislike the flavor, or do you dislike I, the way just, the sugar it's is? It's just too sugary. It's yeah. too sweet. But right. I do enjoy it in, in, sometimes. Yeah. Not McDonald's, because that's just crap. But <laughs> I would like to have a good sweet tea somewhere, so if anyone has any recommendations, just let me know. Zunzi's in Savannah, Georgia. That's accessible by Subway. That's correct, yes. Um, you said that like a statement. Right. I was going to say, yeah, you get on the Second Avenue, because I hear that goes all these new places. <laughs> oh my God, could you imagine? You get off at Zoom. It's, a, it's an African-based, it's an African tea leaf that they use before they sugar it. That's great. And it makes it taste like nothing else. It's great. So this question's interesting, because though no one can see you right now, they don't know this, but you have a lot of hats. And you wear a lot of hats. Yeah, yeah. How many hats do you own? What is it now? What's interesting, and actually, uh, Palmer called me on this the other day. She said, she said, you've got a lot of hats. They're all flat caps. And I think it's because people just started giving me flat caps, which was very right. thoughtful. I think it's six, six flat caps and a, and, a winter, and a winter pullover because she bought it for me because I would kept showing up places with a flat cap on going, oh, my ears. And she's like, put this thing over your ears nice. and stop. Yeah. So, yes, I think it's six. So we're going to move into the <laughs> pop five rapid fire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give you some five pop culture things, items, things that have been recent news, whatever. Okay. And you're going to just either first word, first phrase, first things you want to say about it. Great. Number one, Lady Gaga. Fell spectacularly. She did. Did you uh, watch the Super Bowl? No, I saw. I, I well, actually uh, watched the. I watched the overtime. I watched. That was when I happened to get home. Was the overtime? I was at a party that didn't have a TV. Oh God! It was. It was actually brilliant. It was brilliant. <laughs> and then uh, shout out to Mick Blair, and uh, got home and, and was able to watch the overtime and then watched the DVR of Lady Gaga. Nice. She is. She sang every note of that, and that's all I got to say about that. She sang every note of that halftime. She's incredible. She's incredible. Yeah. Speaking of incredible, Melissa McCarthy. Killed it. Killed it. She um, she had done Chris Farley's uh, Living in a Van Dump right. on the River character before, and I remember thinking at one point, she's like one of the few comedians we have right now who possesses that fearlessness to be grotesque yeah, absolutely. on screen. And she, she skewered... She skewered... Uh, a whole persona and I think and you know I think that it's it's the kind of brave political parodying we need to see right now I agree next is Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812 uh have not honestly seen it yet I uh -oh. have friends in it go get there okay uh I do love that uh his uh, um who's the hot one 
and Anatole. Anatole. Anatole's last note. Uh, Ellie Pyle just told me that Anatole's last note is a C sharp, and I went and listened to it, and he's a genius. Lucas Steele is a genius. That's it. Nice. Yeah. Next is La La Land. Oh wow! Uh, haven't had any particular interest. That's fair. I haven't seen it yet either. Strikes me so close to home. I don't need to see it. Sure. Yeah. And we're gonna end with something that is very present in this moment that we had a very brief conversation on. Mm-hmm. Number five is Charles Isherwood. I love that. I, that's the one I took a pause on. Uh, uh, New York Times was the first theater reviews I ever read, and I think Isherwood might have been one of the first ones I ever like di- uh, digest. I think In the Heights, he wrote In the Heights, yes, right? Yes, he did. And I think that was one in Savannah that I was like pouring over when I was running my theater there. And... Uh, uh, he has done great. He had, he wrote some beautiful things about uh, some shows that needed someone to prop up, and I think to be honest, I'm seeing a lot of I'm seeing a lot of pushback today of people that are like that are saying, "Don't let the door hit you on the way out," and I I have to admit, because of the shows that he nurtured and the value they have brought to the American theater, I I think that outsells what a lot of people see as his sort of consistent um, snark and belittling. I think that's great. Yeah, critics, man, critics, they, man. they hate us, um, but they love us. At the same I was going to say, Michael, I got some, I got some bad news for you. <laughs> You're fighting yourself internally. Yeah. So, well, uh, you've listened to the podcast before, so you know that we end the podcast with a question from the previous guest. Yes, which I think is great. So we have a question from Zach Stevens. <gasps> Zach Stevens. And the question is: Knowing what you know now, if you could go back in time and tell yourself your future self what you'd like to know what would it be if I could go back in time and tell yourself now what you wish you knew then I've, I've spent my whole life trying to combine story uh, thea- theatrical storytelling storytelling in general into every element of my life and there I took including my love for tech and when I did a I took a class when I think I was seven or eight, and it was an early programming class. And you were supposed to write a program that pushed a Lego down a conveyor belt. Um, And then a crane was supposed to swing around as if it was going to get it. But the program left the Lego under a little lip where the crane couldn't get it. And the teacher said, it doesn't matter if the crane gets it, that's the program. The crane swings around, that's the end of the program. And I wrote extra programming that pushed it an extra inch on the conveyor belt so the crane could get it because I thought it was a better story. And he was furious with my teacher's furious with me. And that's not how this works. That's not how math works. That's not how computers work. You cannot bend them to your will. And I would love to go back and be over my own future self's shoulder at that point and say, finish the code. All right trust the storytelling so now it's your turn to ask my next guest a question what do you got for her? uh oh it's you, you already know who it is i think so but i and you'll you'll I, i'll wait and hear it i'd like Absolutely. to wait and hear it this will be good uh what is a do you have a moment in your life where everything before was before and everything after was after all right that's deep profound oh and they're working on my hallway so that's that's coming in on the no, Steve. So, 
we are basically out of time. So if you have gotten this far, it's time to let us know by using hashtag Bono. <laughs> We're going to see if Bono can listen to, and like this will help Bono hear Bono. Um, what we want him to hear. Yes. Um, Ryan, where, where can we find you on social media? You can find me at Real Ryan McCurdy everywhere. And that's because there are a lot of Ryan McCurdy's. And someone called me a couple of years ago and said, I'm trying to get Ryan McCurdy the actor. I was like, this is Ryan McCurdy the actor. No, it's just the real Ryan McCurdy. <laughs> I was like, well, that's my name. That's my name now. So real Ryan McCurdy, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, <laughs> Vimeo, YouTube. <laughs> and where can we find your band? You can find us at bonfirefalls.com and uh, at bonfirefalls on all social media. And we can listen to them where? Oh, you mean show-wise? Yeah. And, and app-wise. Oh, yeah. You can, um, you can find us. Uh, our album is available on iTunes, Spotify, and Apple Music, as well as CD Baby, who was our printer. And uh, by the time this airs, hopefully Michael might be thoughtful enough to put up our next live show link, because I don't know when it is. Absolutely. We'll, we'll make sure to put it on the show page. I appreciate you. Michael, I, I'm just going to... Can I say something Can I say something sure, about absolutely. you? Absolutely. Know, I know we're out of time, but... Um, we uh, we appreciate you. Thank you. We uh, we appreciate, if not all of us do, know that you are appreciated. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for everything that you do, and I pre and I've I've loved watching. You're you're someone who I've uh, jumped into the parallel stream with, and I'm really glad to have seen what you've how you've developed your brand. It means a lot. Thank you so I'm much. Proud of you, yeah. Well, thanks for talking with me, and I can, we'll see you soon. Block talk. Peace out. A big thanks to Ryan McCurdy for sitting down with me. If you're feeling inspired, now's your chance to become a Theater in the Now patron at patreon.com slash theaterinthenow. If you have any questions or comments, drop me a line on our question link at theaterinthenow.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Michael Block, and that was Block Talk. <laughs>